0: and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. I should say right off the bat that I've come to feel that British writers are just better writers. <laughs> like, am I allowed to say that? <laughs>
1: Today, I'm happy to welcome Melody Warnick to the show. She's a Blacksburg-based author and a Twitter friend of mine, but what really got my attention about Melody's reading life is that she's been documenting her books in an Excel spreadsheet since 2004. If you're anything like me, that makes you really jealous. But if you find that intimidating, don't worry. Melody's not at all analytical about choosing what to read next, and I can't wait for you to hear how she approaches a big stack of library books. This episode is really fun. Let's get to it. Melody, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Anne. Melody, I only know you from the interwebs, mostly Twitter, (laughs) so it's great to talk to you in person. It is great. Thanks so much. So, Melody, can you tell us your, like, two-minute life history?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Include the book, please. I want to hear more about the book. Okay. Um, So the reason I know you is because I recently wrote a book. It was published by Viking in June, and it's called This is Where You Belong, The Art and Science of Loving the Place You Live. So it's kind of inspired a little bit by my life, which involved a lot of moving in the past um, 12 or 15 years or so. Um, we live in Blacksburg, Virginia now, but we moved here from Austin. And Before that, we were in Iowa and Utah and Maryland. Um, and when we moved here, I needed to figure out a way to love it. So that's what the book is about is how to connect with the community you live in and feel happy there. Um, but other than that, I'm married, my husband works at Virginia Tech, and we have two girls who are um, once in high school and one's in fourth grade. So it's fun.
1: So I may have confessed to having a weird urban planning fixation in my, yes. in my reading. <laughs> Do you connect with that in the book? And I just want you to know what I'm really fishing for are book recommendations to fuel my weird obsession.
0: Yeah. And you know, the book was, it's pretty heavy on research. i like to think that it's really readable and accessible for people. You know, I give a lot of really practical advice about things that you can do if you're new in town or even if you've lived there a while to make yourself feel better there. Um, but I definitely talk a lot about um, books. You know, some of uh, my favorites, and I'm not sure which of these you've read, are Walkable City by oh my gosh. Jeff Speck. I love Walkable
1: City so much. It's, I want everyone to read Walkable City so I can talk to them about how much I love Walkable City.
0: I know. And it's so funny because you would never think that a book about you know, walking and why it matters would be interesting at all, but he's just a great writer and he makes it fascinating and he makes you really rethink, you know, what, what your city is like and how you interact with it. So I love that. Um, Another one that I really liked is called The Vanishing Neighbor by Mark Dunkelman. He talks about um, how, you know, in the past we used to interact with our neighbors a lot more and... Now we don't and why that's changed and, you know, loose ties and things like that. But it was really big as I wrote the book, um, you know, thinking about what how do neighbors matter to us in our towns and what we can do to meet more of them, which is something that I did here in Blacksburg. Interesting. I do not know that title. It's yeah, it's great. I highly recommend it. Do you know your neighbors in Blacksburg? I well, So it's sort of a complicated answer. I did know my neighbors. Um, In fact, one of the things I did for the book, like I did all these little, I call them love where you live experiments, where I was kind of challenging myself to, you know, get into my community more. And so one of the experiments was taking banana bread to the neighbors, which turned out to be this super happy experience. Like everyone loved it and it was fun. And we finally like met people and knew their names and stuff. And then a bunch of my neighbors moved this summer and I've been so ironically busy promoting the book about, you know, meeting (laughs) your neighbors Mm -hmm. that I haven't met the new neighbors. So it's totally something I need to do really soon.
1: Okay. Gotcha.
0: Are you in book club in Blacksburg? I am in a book club. It is my favorite thing. And, you know, talk about a way to feel happy where you live. That's like one of my big happy places. I always join a book club wherever I move. um, And those are like my favorite friends because they're my smart friends who like to talk about books, which I love. I can't imagine you're the only individual who's
1: found that a good strategy to start to feel at home in a new city.
0: Right. I think, you know, a, a big part of feeling at home when you move someplace new is just kind of finding your tribe. And for me, like being a huge, heavy reader, that's my tribe is book people, you know, people <laughs> who, who want to read and who like to talk about it, you know, library nerds, that is always my tribe. And so the sooner I can connect with the book nerds, the happier I am. So tell me about this huge, heavy reading life you have going on. It sounds kind of weird and sexy when I say it like that. I think we um, should capitalize those H's. I I totally am in my head. (laughs) Um, I've just, I've always been a reader. um, And reading is a huge part of my identity, um, you know, and not just reading, but Books like I'm really into libraries. I spend a lot of time there. I used to be on the library board in um, one of my past towns, so I read probably between fifty and sixty books a year. But I'm, you know, kind of organized about it. Like I, I have documents, you know, where word files where I write you know, a little something about every book I read. So I've been doing that since 2004. So I can, you know, look back and see everything that I've read. And it's just um, an important way for me to define myself to other people, I think. Um, And to myself, you know, I'm a reader. It's who I am. When you're not in the midst of a giant book launch,
1: and I know a lot of non-authors don't understand how horribly, wonderfully, horribly time consuming. That can be what does what is your ideal reading life look like? I don't mean you're like involving a beach of Jamaica fantasies, but a pretty good version of normal non book launch life. What do the rhythms of your reading life look like?
0: I read about 50-50 fiction and nonfiction, Mm -hmm. and I'm really kind of whimsical in how I choose what to read next. I keep track of things that I want to read on a huge Amazon wish list, which now has like 650 (laughs) items. Um, And it's very much like, what do I want to read right now? So when things are going really well in my reading life and I'm not super busy, I usually have about three books going at a time um, so I have a physical book often from the library that I'm reading. I listen to audiobooks when I walk and I have a Kindle and so often I have a Kindle book going too just because it's easy to drag around places um, you know when I'm traveling or things like that. in my ideal world I'd spend a couple hours a day reading. That rarely happens, but I'm kind of one of those people who just squeeze reading into all the cracks. Like, you know, I read when I'm doing my hair in the morning and I read when, Mm -hmm. you know, making dinner or folding laundry. Like there's always just kind of like a book there. So So, you make it happen. I do make it happen. And I totally go through like points in my life where it's not happening for whatever reason, you know, either because I'm really busy or more often because i'm really stressed and my mind is sort of elsewhere i found that when i'm moving i like my reading falls off a cliff just because there's so much going on emotionally and mentally that i can't focus on it like so it just doesn't happen you know when i look back at my reading there can sometimes be whole months where like, I don't read anything but magazines and cereal boxes and stuff like that. Do the magazines go in the book log? I'm thinking not.
1: Seriously, 2004 just blows my mind.
0: I love it. It's one of my favorite things because I have the worst memory in the world. And so, you know, when people ask for book recommendations, or if I just want to be like, did I read that? Like I can go back and I just search for it on my computer and there it is. Hooray. I just kind of make it happen most of the time which is which is good now did you
1: consult this reading log before you pulled out your favorites
0: I totally did (laughs) um not only because like I just mentioned I have a terrible memory and I have I had this like total fear that when I was doing book publicity that people would be like what are your favorite authors and I'd be like uh I have (laughs) no idea that hasn't happened yet and now that I've said it it will I'm sure but I wanted to I wanted to pick books You know, asking for your three favorite books was so mind boggling and huge that I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this easier for myself. I'm just going to pick books that I've read in the past couple of years that Mm -hmm. were like, you know, and not even like my world's favorite, but just books that I really liked and that maybe, you know, like represent something about my reading preferences.
1: Favorite books driven by data and not just memories. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people do that. I'm totally anal, I guess. Uh... (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're putting that tendency to good use. Right. Okay. Melody, what what did
0: your spreadsheet say
1: your first favorite book should be?
0: <laughs> are these in order? They are. No, they are in okay. no particular okay. order. Yeah. Like, so the really embarrassing thing is when I do this spreadsheet, like at the end of the year, I'll go back and put an asterisk next to like the best, the read, the best reads of the year. So these were books that were asterisked in the last couple of years. Wait, why is that embarrassing? That's awesome. Um, I guess it just like I don't even think of myself as that organized, but with, with my reading life, I I am pretty organized. Like I'm not one of those, you know, self-trackers or yeah, you know, I don't have a Fitbit or anything. But <laughs> just in this one area, I, I do track it and kind of it's like my favorite thing. The first book is Elizabeth Is Missing by a British author named Emma Healy. It's mm-hmm. her first novel. So this is a novel that is about an elderly woman named Maud who is sinking into Alzheimer's. And she starts to think that her friend, you know, someone her age named Elizabeth is missing, hence the title. And she's trying to solve the mystery, but her her brain won't really allow her to. Like she'll, you know, tell herself, I'm going to walk down to Elizabeth's house and I'm Going to see if she's there, and um, we we're seeing this from Maud's point of view. But we quickly realize things like you know Maud is forgetting where she's going as this is going on, and she's trying to solve the mystery of Elizabeth. She starts having these flashbacks to the disappearance of her sister Suki when she was a teenager, um, you know, after World War II in England, and the two mysteries become conflated in her mind. And so as she's solving one, she's kind of solving the other. So it's a really ingeniously crafted plot. It's really beautifully written. And I love the mystery aspects of it. I'm a big reader of especially British mysteries. I love Petey James and Ruth Rendell. So I love that this kind of... um you know, takes you along on this adventure where you're hoping that Maude sort of beats her disease and figures out what's happening um, in real life as we do it too. And I, I'm a huge fan of authentic dialogue. Nothing turns me off of a book faster than dialogue that feels stilted or forced in some way. And the dialogue in Elizabeth is missing just is. It feels really real. The characters all feel really real. And you definitely learn something about Alzheimer's and and what it would be like to experience that. I read Still Alice and liked it. Like, I liked the story, but I didn't feel like it was particularly Mm well-written. And I feel like Elizabeth is missing, you know, in a fictional way, fills that gap. So I just read this one recently,
1: and... I could not remember the name of still Alice. Anyone who's read still Alice probably is familiar with the experience of not being able to find your keys and going, it's happening to me. Like I'm, I'm in my thirties and it is happening to me. And not being able to remember the name of this book was making me feel like I was not in a good place. Yeah. Um, Here's what I really liked about this book. So the unreliable narrator is all the rage and like tipping towards overdone. A lot of people think, but like with this construct, the narrator is unreliable, not because the author's playing mind games with you, but because her memory is unreliable, that that it's very believable the way she does it. And it was frustrating for me to read at times because I couldn't figure out what was going on. And yet that was exactly the point in the way Healy set it up. It totally worked.
0: Right. There's kind of this dramatic irony as you go along that, you know, we, the reader eventually understand more of what's going on than Maud does because she learns things and we learn them with her and then she forgets them and and we don't forget them. Right. Okay. Even if we can't find our keys. We right. forget exactly. I had that exact same experience reading still Alice where the whole time I'm reading I'm like, crap, this is me. Like I am I have Alzheimer's because, you know, I, yeah, I can't find my keys and I can't find my sunglasses. And um, so it's definitely, you know, one of those things that you read that I imagine if you have Alzheimer's in your family, it might be kind of scary, mm-hmm, but definitely. I actually, it, it's well done. You, you come to love Maude as flawed as she is. And it, it was just a, a really, fascinating, engaging read, um, and really well done. And I loved it.
1: That's about,
0: that's about as well (laughs) as you could sum up.
1: Right. It was really well done and I loved it. Yeah. Okay. What's book two?
0: Okay. Book two is the Gollum and the Genie by Helene Wecker. And I picked it because it's kind of an unusual book for me. And I'm realizing that what I think is unusual is probably more usual than I want to admit. And let me <laughs> let me explain that a little bit. So um, this is a sprawling novel set around the turn of the 20th century in New York City, and it's about a woman who is a golem, meaning that she is a creature of clay that has been created by this wicked Jewish scholar. And um she happens to meet up with a genie who has been released from a thousand years of captivity in an oil flask. So you have these two magical creatures who are living and working and functioning in a real city. and you know, eventually their paths cross, and magic and chaos ensues and I, I don't think of myself as a fantasy reader, um, but I really gravitated over the years toward magical realism, meaning I don't want to read a book that is completely set in a 100% fantastical world where you have to learn all the rules from scratch and, you know, the name of the planet and stuff like that. But I like reading about fantastical elements set in, you know, a recognizable landscape. I think it was why I fell for Harry Potter. And Mm -hmm. I resisted reading Harry Potter for many years. And the more people talked it up, the more I'm like, that's crap. I'm not going to read that. (laughs) Um, And finally, I started reading it with my daughters. And I kind of got into it and, you know, ended up with the last four books, you know, checked them out myself and plowed through them. And I remember, you know, reading the last one in my bedroom with the door locked, you know, like crying in parts and, you know, screaming at anyone who knocked and, and stuff like that. So I became a big Harry Potter fan and it revealed to me this thing that I hadn't wanted to admit, which is that I actually do like fantasy to some extent, you know, but more than that in The Gollum and the Genie. I love how big the story is. There's lots of extra characters that come into play and they're all interesting. At times it got, it it felt like the plot maybe got a little out of hand. Um, Like maybe there were, there was a little too much going on. And at the end, um, Wecker tries to tie it all up and, you know, more or less successfully, but there were a few characters where I'm like, "Uh, we could have done without that one. But I actually started reading this when I was finishing my book, you know, I was racing to meet this deadline and I just picked it up and I was like, oh, that was a huge mistake because I couldn't put it down (laughs) and it became this big time suck. But it was, you know, it's a really nice, nicely written um, plot generated, you know, plot driven book that was, it was a fun read. Is
1: plot driven your modus operandi or it just happens to be that way this time
0: I like plot driven books and it kind of relates to the thing I want to be different in my reading life which is that I'm sort of a lazy reader and I like to be propelled through the books I Uh want you know I want books that sort of drag me through but you know I don't always read like that but I find that you know, it's fun and keeps me turning pages, which is always a cool experience. Yeah. It is fun, isn't it? It is. You know, like when you read that book that literally makes you stay up late, like I like that. I hear you on that. Okay. What's book three? So book three is maybe one that um, people have read. Um, the Boy Who Harnessed the Wind by William Kamkwamba and Brian Mueller. Um, I loved it because... It's a well-told story of this boy, William, who's growing up in Malawi in incredibly impoverished circumstances. The country suffers a drought and you see these um, stories of their crops dying and um, the people literally starving to death. And William is completely self-taught. He goes and checks out a book from the library about electricity, and he ends up wiring up a windmill that the townspeople come and use to charge their cell phones. I like it because I like to be inspired um, by people. I like reading books about people who are doing, you know, amazing things, kind of like Tracy Kidder's *Mountain Mountains mm-hmm. Beyond Mountains* about Paul mm-hmm. Farmer. Um, you know, I like those stories where you know I I finish reading them and I want to be a better person. And I like stories that are transporting. You know, I think of um, that Ann Tyler quote: "I read so I can live more than one life in more than one place." Mm-hmm you know, the chances of me ever getting to Malawi are pretty slim. But I, you know, when you read a book like this, it makes you understand what the culture is like there. And that's fascinating.
1: So this is a nonfiction book. But as you say that, are you
0: imagining the the idea of books transporting you applying to your fiction as well? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And, you know, I think fiction, maybe even more than nonfiction, has that ability to um, put you in someone else's life and experiences. But I think good nonfiction and fiction both have that ability. And I, you know, I'm not a super escapist reader, necessarily. You know, I like to read about real things. And I'll read about dark things. But I, I like stories that teach me and transport me.
1: Okay. So Melody, I don't know if you remember this or not, but back in February when you first applied to be on the show and I wish, I mean, if this were a daily show or a twice daily show, we could have everybody on and we could have them on quickly. But unfortunately that's just not in the stars, but you listed your favorites way back in February.
0: And they were completely different, I'm sure. They were completely different. Do you remember (laughs) what they were? No, I have no idea.
1: You sound like a totally different reader on paper with your other three favorites. Okay. Tell me what. (laughs) If you consulted your spreadsheet, would you be able to tell?
0: No. I mean, because it really is... I'm kind of... um, in some ways, like a not very discriminating (laughs) reader. Like I read really pretty broadly in fiction and nonfiction. And I like most of the books I read, you know, like Uh I, if I come across a book that I don't like, chances are good that I'll just put it down Mm -hmm. and not even finish it. But, you know, there are, I have such a long list of favorite books. It's really hard to choose. Oh, I would be so disappointed for you if there were only six asterisks. Right. Yeah. There's tons of asterisks, but now I'm really curious what the books were. Okay.
1: They were The Light Between Oceans. Okay. Yeah, I do love that. <laughs> okay. Good. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't change your mind since February. Life After Life by Kate Atkinson. I adore that. And Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert.
0: Oh, I love all of those. <laughs> um, like meeting an old friend again. I know. I'm like, oh yeah, those guys.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, but this is funny too.
0: Yeah, I think I didn't pick those. I think as I was thinking about, you know, what books do I want to talk Uh about? I wanted to pick books that maybe mm, fewer people had read or heard of just to, you know, like spread the love for a book like Elizabeth is Missing that, you know, wasn't like an enormous bestseller or anything. Yeah, people want to find new titles. Right. And I feel like the other books that you just mentioned were, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. they were a little bigger, more people have heard of them, but they've um, all, all been mentioned on the show. Right. Mm-hmm. Kate Atkinson, I would read anything that she's written. I think I've read almost everything she has written. Um well, her British s- Mysteries. That's right. where she got her British start. British Mysteries, there you go. Her sentences are exquisite. Whenever I read a book, I just think, ah, oh, if I could write a single sentence as good as one of hers, I would die happy. The light between oceans, I recommend that to everyone. And one of the reasons I really like it is because I sobbed at the end. Um and <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a huge crier. So if a book can make me cry, like it's usually, it's well-earned. And that was a book that was so complex um, that it, it really was a challenge, a challenging situation where you can identify with everyone involved and there was not a great solution. And yeah, it, you know, I felt it emotionally. And Big Magic was just an inspiring book for a writer and, and I love Elizabeth Gilbert too. One of the ones that I thought about recommending was the last American man, which I think is probably one of her least known books. Um, and I've never heard of that book. That's Elizabeth a, Gilbert. Yeah. Elizabeth Gilbert. Okay. It's a nonfiction book about a guy who is a true outdoorsman, um, you know, walks across the country and camps out and is living this very minimalist life. And it's a narrative of his life. You know, it, Elizabeth Gilbert isn't much of a character in it at all. And it's just a really interesting book. That sounds really interesting. So I feel like I squeezed in like double the favorites Well done.
1: Well played. (laughs) Okay. I did think it was really funny, though, that your hate was consistent. As for your reasons for it. (laughs) I, I mean, maybe you changed your mind since then. Melody, what's the
0: book you hate? Okay, the book I hate is "The Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie" by Alan Bradley. I love that you hate this book because so many people love it. The whole so series, so many people love it, and that's why I read it because it had just been so highly recommended by so many people. And normally, I do like mysteries. I thought this is going to be great. I think the thing that I didn't like about it is it felt inauthentic. <laughs> you know, I I like books that show me a believable version of life and the character of Flavia just felt so precocious and kind of irritating um you know the things that she said I'm like no kid says that <laughs> it's um, like the adult
1: the adult's conception of a
0: charming child right <laughs> and it's just um You know, it just felt untrue. And the other thing that I didn't like about it is I felt like there were these scenes that were meant to show Flavia as just like, you know, funny and delightful, but they didn't move the plot forward, which feels really important to me in a mystery, you know, that everything is, you know, pointing towards the mystery and solving the mystery. And that wasn't always happening with the sweetness at the bottom of the pie. So Mm kind of drove me nuts a little. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Melody, what are you reading now? So I just finished Walter Lord's A Night to Remember, which is a book written in 1955 about the Titanic disaster. This is one of my other you know, readerly weirdnesses that I'm super into disaster books and Uh survival stories, Uh you know, like into thin air about Everest and endurance about Shackleton in the Antarctic. And so this was right in there and it was actually, um, really great. You know, I, I think really well researched and I, I genuinely learned things about the Titanic and saw it in a different way than I ever had before. So it was, it was great.
1: Very cool. Okay, so you already
0: hinted at what you want more of in your reading life. Right. You know, I'm, like I said, I'm a pretty capricious reader where I sort of just pick the book that I want to read right now at, you know, at this very second. Um, but I tend to gravitate toward short books mm-hmm. <laughs> because I have a short attention span. And I also tend to gravitate toward, um, you know, like, recent books, recent bestsellers, uh, because I, you know, they're, I've seen something recommended in a magazine or from a friend, and I like to be able to talk about them with people, mm-hmm. which is fine. But I guess I'd like to challenge myself a little more with my reading, you know, not just always read the plot driven mysteries and stuff, but read a, a bit more outside what I normally do. Although you know, what I normally do is, is pretty weird and broad. (laughs) I read Middlemarch this year for the first time. Um, and I loved it. Um, but it was one of those things where I'm like, dang, this is long. So I have to, it it is long
1: when you say usually read shorts. I mean, Middlemarch is 800 something pages. What, what page range are you
0: thinking? Normally like Uh, you know, if I go to the library and I'm looking at a shelf, I will seriously be like, this book looks thin. Um, And, you know, between 250 to 350 pages, when I get like more towards 500 pages, I tend to like think really hard about it. Like, do I want to read this book? So Middle March was something that, you know, had to be talked up a lot by other readers I trusted Mm -hmm. before finally was willing to make the investment. Cause I guess that's what it is. You know, it's an investment of your time and mental energy. And, um, unless I am assured that it will be a good reading experience, I'm just kind of lazy about it. And I think it actually goes back to the list because you know, like you do this reading challenge and you want to read a certain number of books. And if you read a long one, it's going to slow down your progress. So middle March is three page turners. Right. Exactly. So, you know, you feel like it should count for extra. It's like, it's like a grade grabbing mentality, you know, like (laughs) I'm going to read the most books, which is ridiculous to have when you're a reader. Well, unless you're a third grader, but right. (laughs) And yet still,
1: I mean, I, I hear you on that. So I said that kind of snarkily, but I do the same thing. If I yep. know there's going to be payoff, I'm willing to do it. But you just, I mean, you can't know. You can right. hope, especially with a book like Middlemarch, you know, that's been around for, that has probably like a million ratings on Goodreads. Right, right. A while. Um, as long as you're not one of those people who say, I never give more than three stars to a book that's more than 30 years old. As long as that's not you. <laughs> oh
0: you can my gosh. Think, that's a real do thing. Do people say that? People do. Oh my gosh. No that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm glad that you're scandalized. Yeah, I am. I'm very scandalized. But that's...
1: with with newer stuff, you know, you just with most stuff, you just have to read it and see. And it is that's... a gamble.
0: It is a gamble. Um, and, you know, like, I've heard enough about the Goldfinch that even though it's like a billion pages, I just bought a copy. And I'm like, I'm I'm gonna do this because... I've just heard how great it is. And, and, you know, I think there will be a payoff. Is that one of the books you picked for me? I could say so now.
1: Oh, you guessed it. I only have <laughs> yes, to come up so with is. two. <laughs> um, no, I was just thinking that I think especially since it won the Pulitzer, there's a little bit of backlash there, too. So people do hate the Goldfinch. I'm waiting for somebody to say it on the podcast. I'm sure it's going to happen. Just because I think people expect more out of a book that they've devoted that much of their life to. That's true. Yeah. But still, there's plenty to there's plenty worth reading in The Goldfinch, in my yeah. opinion. Lots to talk about. And now that so many people have read it, you will be able to talk about it with somebody, That's which it true. sounds like that matters to you.
0: But it does make it seem more worth it to read really long classic novels, because even if you hate it, you can at least say, well, I read Middlemarch. <laughs> <laughs> you you can ride on that for a little while. You totally can. Oh, man. Check that box.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I have ideas for you that are not The Goldfinch. Okay, right after the break. Okay, Melody, welcome back. Let's talk about your books. Okay, we could factor in all six. That would be fun. (laughs) This would be a challenge for you. (laughs) So you read eclectically. I love that you use the word capriciously. That's the (laughs) kind of word a reader would use. Um, So you care about great writing, great sentences, but you don't have to have it. You like page turners, but you don't have to have it. You like a good, inspiring story, but you also mentioned you read Dark, and you love British. So I feel like I have this idea in my head of where your wheelhouse is, and yet I'm struggling to describe it. It's a big wheelhouse, <laughs> I think.
0: An I odd know. wheelhouse. I don't know, but
1: as we talked, I've like jotted down notes of maybe this title and half of those now have X's through them. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I get the impression that you don't like, well, here, let's test this. Have you read Special Topics in Calamity Physics?
0: No, I've heard of it, okay. but I've never read it. That is came to mind at first
1: it's it's an interesting novel it's i think about 10 years old but or have you read bellwether rhapsody by any chance okay so both those books have a similar not the same but a similar kind of tone and that is a little off kilter oh you know what i just realized the word i'm missing here is realistic you like to read realistically Even your fantasy, you're only willing to go so far. So I can at least finish my train of thought for the listeners who are (laughs) like, why didn't she explain herself? There are some books that are written as as capers that are deliberately a little bit not silly, but quirky, quirky. But there's a difference between eccentric and not quite real. The author invites you to take a point of view that is not quite realistic and you go with it. And some people really love that. And some people never write it down in their book log because they just didn't care
0: past page 40. Do you mark down books that you quit or abandon? I do sometimes. Uh Like if I feel like I got far enough into it to merit an entry on the book log, I will. Um, I I just started Barack Obama's The Audacity of Hope Mm -hmm and realized pretty quickly that it was way too wonky for me. So I quit, but I wrote it down just because I wanted to remember that I had attempted it, uh, I guess. So that one day you don't pick something up at a bookstore and go, this looks good. And unsuspectingly
1: try to start reading it twice. Right. Okay. Okay. So circling back around, you want a solid story. Yes. Good writing is bonus Mm -hmm. one or the other for sure. Realistic. And you're willing to try in anything in that circle? Yes. Okay. All right. So I'm just going to use my random book generator to pick three titles because they're likely to make you happy. Okay. Okay. No, I'm <laughs> totally kidding. Okay. Um, the first one I that's coming to mind is a British mystery that it seems highly likely you've already read because it's so right what you're talking about. It's called I Let You Go by Claire McIntosh. I haven't read that. Okay. Do you I'd know about seen it? it. Yes. Okay. So here's why I think this is good for you. There, it, Well, it's written by a British author who is a former United Kingdom deputy inspector. So this is a totally accurate insider's account of a typical police investigation into a hit-and-run accident that kills a five-year-old boy. There are triggers here, but they don't become apparent until a twist in the story. So if you know that you're very sensitive in your reading, like do a little research. You'll sacrifice a little bit of the element of surprise, but not a lot. And it will be worth it to you. But this is British mystery, very suspenseful, very well written. The the book is written in two parts. And at the end of part one, you go, what just (sighs) happened? So I was reading this in bed one night and I was sitting next to my husband and I finished part one and I go, and then I start flipping madly through like the first half of the book. And my husband is like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I thought I understood what was happening, but now I'm doubting everything. And I just don't, I I don't, I thought I understood. And I'm making sure that what just happened really happened. And, but I like this for you because it's kind of like Elizabeth is missing in that the way the action is set up. It's not a cheap trick. It's totally legit. And you believe it. So yeah, it's just a, re- it's a British page turner. I mean, that I could sounds have just stopped awesome.
0: There. Right. Exactly. People are British. Okay. You told me. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that sounds right up my alley.
1: Now I know that you want to read a little differently also, and this is your 384 page, fairly new British mystery.
0: And yeah, it's, it's what you know you like. So I know sometimes I feel like, you know, I don't need to read differently. (laughs) Like I'm, you know, I'm relatively happy just reading whatever appeals to me. Mm -hmm. So, so, and this is appealing. Excellent. Okay. So
1: I'm debating... Well, we'll see. I'll just throw you some titles. It seems likely that you've read one of these and then I won't have to make my Sophie's choice. You, you're reading <laughs> logs can do it for it. us. Okay. <laughs> Book two, I'm thinking Miller's Valley by Anna Quinlan. Have you read it?
0: I haven't. I've read other Anna Quinlan and I really like her, but I haven't gotten to Miller's Valley. It's been on my reading list.
1: Okay. Well, again, it's a new one. It's just under 300 pages. It came out, I think, back in the spring, March or April. So this is its very realistic fiction. It's a coming-of-age story. It's set in rural Pennsylvania in this tiny town. So simultaneously, we have a community going through upheavals. Like, nothing's happened yet, but it's about to. The government officials are wanting to turn this this community that's called Miller's Valley Into a reservoir, so they want to flood the town basically. And this community is together looking at the possibility of all being forced out and needing to leave and finding new homes elsewhere and what that means for them as individuals and as a community. And simultaneously, we are watching Mimi Miller approach a time of tremendous change in her own life. Like she's 11 when we meet her, she's a farm girl. Growing up in a small town with her with her family in in her home in her tiny, tiny community, but she is she's smart and strappy and sees a way out and she's not positive she wants to take it so when you put these stories together, you have a very compelling believable not always happy, not always uplifting, but it just feels satisfying because it just feels very, very true. She makes you see that even if you don't like their choices, you can at least understand why they made the choices they did. We've got a strong, compelling, realistic story that you can read really quickly because you'll want to see what you know what happens to this girl in the end what do you think um i
0: am down with that that sounds yeah i had read about it and it you know not only do i already know that i like anna quinlan but the theme of the story with you know a community <laughs> facing the the end of its community is very much in line with, you know, the things that I've been writing about and researching about place. So I, that gave it extra bonus points, but it sounds, it sounds great. So absolutely about place. I think it's worth mentioning that I think the description sounds
1: boring honestly, and was a little surprised to get to page 10 and realize like, wait, I like this.
0: I like this a lot. It sounds um, a lot or, or not a lot. It sounds similar to the excellent Lombards. Did you read that? No, By I don't Jane know that one. Uh-uh. Uh, It came out earlier this year and... I would almost have to say it's a novel about nothing much more than a family, you know, living in a rural area. I think they're in Oregon or Washington and, you know, having family issues and the main character is a child, you know, right around that age, mm-hmm. um, 11 or 12. And I loved it just because it was so well written. And again, so realistic. Um, I'm realizing this is a theme for me, you know, where the the narrative following this child and what she cares about was completely convincing. Mm-hmm. So um, Miller's Valley sounds a little bit like that. So I'm excited about it. I love books like that. The kind that are about
1: ordinary people, they are Impossible to describe in any way that sounds interesting. But I love them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Even if I can't give you a nice elevator pitch for it, right? Or I think I can do better than the publisher's copy. So at least there's that. (laughs) So I was debating between this and a contemporary fantasy pick. But at least for your third book, we're going to honor what you want to be different in your reading life and take you back to something that wasn't just published since Christmas. Okay. Okay. So this is the kind of book that is likely to come up if you put thirty readers in a room and say, Tell me your favorite books of all time. Somebody's gonna mention this one. So especially if they're 30 something females like us in America, like this is gonna come up. Yeah, it's definitely best book of all time material for a lot of readers. And this is just a great story. This book is The Power of One by Bryce Courtenay. It's set in South Africa during the thirties and forties. Between the Wars, it follows the struggles of a young boy named PK as he covers many, many years of his life. And the breadth of the story is fascinating. Like we have boxing and horticulture and apartheid and boarding. The beginning reminded me very much of All the Light You Cannot See, which is not a bad comparison, but it's mm-hmm, also yeah. a very, a very sad one if you've read both books, but Ultimately, it's a redemption story. It's about the resiliency of this one boy and the human spirit. And it's uh, it's worth reading once. And even once. if you <laughs> don't like it, even if you don't like it, when people go, oh, my favorite book of all time, you can say, uh-huh, I can see why, even if it wasn't yours. But it is, if, if I had read this not knowing anything about it and somebody told me it was the true inspiring story, like in the vein of Unbroken, I would totally believe them.
0: Okay. Um, so I read All the Light You Cannot See and loved it. And I've also read Unbroken and loved it. So I'm excited about this. Okay. I'll be curious to hear what you think. I like all these picks. Like I would go get them right now <laughs> and start start all of them. They They all sound great. But which one are you going to read next? I might do The Power of One. I've read a few nonfiction. And I, you know, I like the idea of I mean, these are all novels, but um, this is different from a little more different from what I normally read. And I like the idea of reading something inspiring and uplifting. They all sound good. So it's hard. It's hard. I should emphasize that. There's every chance that I will go and I will get all three from the library and then I will kind of like eeny, meeny my miny mo it mm-hmm. and just whatever appeals in the se- in in that second. Sometimes I'll go and get a stack of library books and I will read the first sentence of each of them and whichever sounds the best <laughs> library. Is the one, yeah, is the one I read. So I like it. Yeah. Well, I can't um, wait to hear what you think. Thank you. I'm I, I'm excited. I feel like I have such a long reading list that it's just really helpful to have someone say, you should read these ones, you know, I recommend them and so I'm thankful to have some direction. Well, I totally relate to that and I'm happy to do it. Thanks so much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed today's episode please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what melody should read next. That page is at what should I read next slash 39. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Next week, we have another fun episode lined up for you. I'm talking with a bookstore-owning friend who has the inside scoop on what we'll all be reading this fall. We talk about her favorites and share recommended reads, of course, but we also discuss the titles coming your way this fall that we can't wait to get our hands on ourselves. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Anne Vogel. That is Anne with an E. B is in books. O G E L. And don't forget to tag the show on Instagram at What Should I Read Next? So we can see what you are reading. If you enjoy this podcast, would you please go rate and review it on iTunes? That's really important in helping other readers find the show, and we appreciate it so very much, readers. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said. Ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.